This is the Tribune Audio Network. How did the idea of communicating with the dead become so popular in the 19th century? A pair of sisters convinced people they had a remarkable ability. But what made people so receptive to the idea of communicating with the dead? On this episode of the Backstory Podcast, we look at the rise of spiritualism in the U.S. and an effort to end it. Let's get into the backstory. Strange sounds in the Fox family farmhouse in upstate New York begin the modern spiritualist movement in March of 1848. 14-year-old Kate and 11-year-old Maggie hear knocks in their bedroom. They share the story with a neighbor. Word spreads. Is the house haunted? The girls move to live with their older sister, Leah, 30 miles west in Rochester. Prominent members of the Quaker community are mesmerized for what appears to them as the Fox sisters communicating with the dead. The Quakers rent a hall where 400 people turn out to experience the mystery of the great beyond. The Fox sisters probably launched modern spiritualism in the United States, maybe even in the world. Um, they also launched the business of spiritualism. Jim Underdown is no ghost hunter. His team of scientists and experienced investigators examines claims of the paranormal. They found out that people were extremely interested in this sort of thing to the tune of me being able to pay a buck to go see them, which in 1848 or 1850 is good money. The oldest sister, Leah, takes Maggie and Kate on a nationwide tour. Soon, other mediums perform. Talking to the dead is not a new concept, but the modern movement takes root in the 19th century. At the same time, a new invention called the telegraph reaches upstate New York. It sends messages many miles away by an electrical force that most people don't quite understand. The Quakers reason that accepting communication with the dead shouldn't be more difficult, and that maybe the Fox sisters are directing electrical energy to the great beyond. People are also primed to believe in all this in part because of the Civil War. Thousands of soldiers are simply buried in battlefields. Funerals back home seem meaningless. Even Mary Todd Lincoln holds a seance at the White House for her late son, Willie. The first Spiritualist National Convention is held in Chicago during the summer of 1864. But all this so-called mysticism starts to wear on the younger Fox sisters. They start drinking heavily. Ones who were perpetrating this hoax were both big drinkers most of their lives. And my theory is that they just felt guilty because they knew damn well what they were doing and they just felt guilty. Maggie confesses. She calls it a horrible deception. So what about the mysterious sounds? Well, as many skeptics suspect, the sisters are simply cracking their toes. A death blow to spiritualism? Hardly. Many people are angry with the sisters. Maggie recants and tries to get back to the spiritual tour, but it's too late. And soon, all three sisters pass away.
Massachusetts is known as America's attic. The Pilgrims landed in Plymouth, Salem's witch hunt started several decades later, and several decades after that, the American Revolution begins in Boston. Between Boston and Salem is my hometown of Lynn, which was once the shoe capital of the world. In the 1700s, Moll Pitcher is a famous fortune teller. She reads tea leaves. Sea captains rely on her for safe voyages. When customers visit her home, her family pumps them for information while she eavesdrops, gaining insight for her so-called predictions. For the next 150 years, science and a belief in the supernatural merge here in a radical spirituality. Hiram Marble is one man who believes in such prophecies. In 1851, he consults a fortune teller to help him find his fortune, a pirate's buried treasure. Legend has it that a pirate was burying his treasure in a cave in Lynn Woods. In 1658, an earthquake hits and turns cave into grave known as Dungeon Rock. Hiram Marble and his son set up camp and dig. Dan Small is the park ranger at Lynn Woods. He was convinced he could find the treasure because he had attended seances where the ghost pirate had appeared and uh, the ghost had told him that he would help him find it. He would give him directions to find and he would get to keep the, the prize, the treasure. Ranger Small takes us inside to see just how far the marbles get. 174 feet. So you go down there. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh. With twists and turns as directed by a fortune teller. But the marbles are running out of money. So they charge 25 cents to tour the treasure hunt. He and his son dig for 30 years until their deaths. They find nothing. His son is buried nearby and Dungeon Rock becomes a gathering place for spiritualists. The Hutchinson family is a famous singing group of spiritualists and abolitionists. The Lynn Museum and Historical Society features singers who perform the Hutchinson songs about freeing the slaves. Frederick Douglass moves to Lynn as a fugitive slave and tours with them through Union camps to cheer up soldiers. The Hutchinsons even sing for President Lincoln at the White House. Joe Boyd is with the Lynn Historical Society. They were the most famous singing group, influential group in the United States. Jesse Hutchinson builds cottages and an observatory on High Rock. It was the highest place over the city, so it was, uh, uh, you know, it was dominant. It had a great view. You can see Boston. People who were into spiritualism felt that that was kind of a sacred spot. One spiritualist records a vision of spirits descending from heaven to High Rock's tower. Another plans to create a new savior for humanity. John Murray Spear, a former reverend, plans to use electricity to bring a sort of robot to life and give birth to a new messiah. Spear claims the spirit of Ben Franklin is guiding him. This guy was going to, I guess in his own way, create, you know, not a Frankenstein, but something, create a creature and try to bring it to life with a woman simulating a birth. But I think it also had to in include lightning. And uh, this 
was a big to do for a few weeks and then they, it, it didn't happen and they actually ran him out of town. The singing and spirituality inspire the Hutchinson's mission to abolish slavery. Their tower on the high rock has such a great view that when Richmond, Virginia falls to the Union during the Civil War, people celebrate here with drums and bonfires and accidentally set fire to Jesse Hutchinson's wooden tower. A historian notes Jesse Hutchinson vowed to return to prove his views on the afterlife, but he did not fulfill his pledge. His grave faces High Rock Tower that was rebuilt in 1905. It now features an observatory. James Marsh is with the city of Lynn. That's actually what Jesse Hutchinson wanted. When he bestowed it to the city of Lynn, he said that he wanted it to be opened up for a place of advanced thought. We like to think that, yeah, we teach the kids here a little bit about astronomy, a little bit about uh, galaxies. We have had thousands of people up here. It's really a great resource that not too many municipalities actually have. Between the darkness of the witch trials in neighboring Salem and the light of liberty 11 miles south in Boston, Lynn's story of spiritualists and fortune tellers is not as well known, but still very influential. Joe Scanlon is a lifelong resident of Lynn and a former city councilor. We've been here since the beginning of the founding of the country. Whatever happened in America has happened in Lynn, basically. Political movements took root here, I and mean, this is a very strong area of abolitionism. You talk about history repeating itself, this is a great place to see it. In the 20th century, skeptics like Houdini publicly debunk mediums as frauds. And with the advancement of science, spiritualism fades. Even if he gets them all, he would only have 179. Yeah. Today, Jim Underdown brings that skepticism to modern claims of the supernatural. He heads the Center for Inquiry Investigations Group in Los Angeles. His team has a standing offer, $100,000, to anyone who can prove their paranormal ability under scientific conditions. So that means that we're going to control for magic tricks and cheating and things like that. Why do you guys do this? Well, skeptics have been accused in the past of being closed-minded about these sorts of claims. So we figure not only will we give people an opportunity to prove this stuff, but we'll give you money if you can prove it. Are we ready to begin? Many have tried and failed. A man who thinks he can dim a light bulb with his mind, but during the test, he cannot do it. So that would mean six consecutive uh, unsuccessful attempts. So. A man who says he can predict dice. His success rate, 53%. And a man who claims he can predict playing cards. He had 52 chances. We flipped up 52 cards. He got zero. Okay. A woman who claims she can see things from another location called remote viewing. I, I go inside. I travel a tunnel in my mind where you are behind the curtain. She claims she can predict all 20 items on a table. She predicts zero. It's funny, a lot of these people are genuinely surprised when under test conditions, they can no longer prove their powers. 
But perhaps the most intriguing is the woman who claims she can see inside a body to see if a kidney is missing. She had to guess the right person and the right, the correct kidney. Now we found out that most people who donate kidneys donate their left kidney. It's just easier to operate on. So we purposely had to go out and find people who were missing right kidneys. And sure enough, she guessed left kidney every time. We have a left kidney, no right. She fails the test. What makes people believe they have some kind of power? It's something about human nature that we want to be able to make a decision and act on something even if it's wrong, rather than just leaving it up in the air. There's also the argument from ignorance, and all that is is saying, I don't know what caused this, so it must be that. That's a faulty way of thinking. Especially when weird things happen, people are very uncomfortable with saying, I don't know what just happened. Underdown also sees this with people who claim they have psychic power. You've probably heard stories from people like Carla Barron, who claim they've helped police solve crimes. They typically give a lot of vague information that does not forward the investigation at all. They inject themselves into the investigation. The police normally do not ask for their help or want their help. Underdown has investigated TV psychics like James Van Prague and John Edward. Phil, if she would have said, you're the person who's got a hummingbird tattoo, then I would have been impressed. What about TV psychics? You've been on the Dr. Phil show. What goes on there that viewers may not realize when they come away impressed from what they've just seen on TV? These shows are heavily edited. You don't know how many times they missed guesses throughout the course of a live audience taping. Remember, most people who go to psychics are believers. They're looking to confirm their belief and hope that these people can do what they say they can do. Take that audit! What you see on TV also does not convey the real story when it comes to televangelists who claim a healing power. Cancer! Underdown says he's seen firsthand how some televangelists like Benny Hinn operate. The people who are truly sick the people in wheelchairs and on gurneys and things who can't move, can't even get up on stage, are, when I was there all three times, are in the back of the stadium. So there's no real doctors filtering who gets on stage or not. Your, your malady doesn't have to be real to get on stage. It can be psychological. They believe it hard enough, they'll feel good at least for a short period of time. But it's typically sore elbows and not somebody with MS. They're never going to cure anything serious on those stages. Um, and the other thing is, a lot of it, they just have to take their word for it in the first place. Whether miracle healing or dimming light bulbs, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. If you have the power to communicate with the dead, there's a cash prize, but first you have to prove it. Thanks for listening to Backstory. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe to our podcast or leave a review. To watch our full coverage of this story and see some that didn't make it to the podcast, visit us online at wgntv.com slash backstory. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.